This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's poem. Quote, The past and the present wilt. I have filled them, emptied them, and proceed to fill my next fold of the future. Listener up there, what have you to confide to me? Look in my face while I snuff the sidle of evening. Talk honestly. No one else hears you, and I stay only a minute longer. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then. I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. I concentrate toward them that are nigh. I wait on the door slab. Who has done his day's work? Who will soonest be through with his supper? Who wishes to walk with me? Will you speak before I am gone? Will you prove already too late? End quote. And that is the poet and author Walter Walt Whitman. Whitman was born May 31st, 1819, in West Hills, New York, and he died March 22nd, 1892, in Camden, New Jersey, at the age of 72. He is, perhaps, America's most famous poet, up there with the likes of Emily Dickinson and Robert Frost and Edgar Allan Poe and Maya Angelou. Other famous works of his include the famous poem, O Captain, My Captain, which was published and written and published after President Lincoln was assassinated, and Leaves of Grass, which was as popular as it was controversial for its obscene and overt sensuality which makes a lot more sense through an 1855 lens when it was originally published than a 2022 lens. And his work is, as you would expect, very American. It's broad-reaching in both subject matter and emotion. He is, like all good authors, one who takes the reader on a journey. And today's poem, or more accurately, this section of a poem, is particularly interesting in its presentation This is section 51 of 52 in the poem Song of Myself. Now, as I've said before, I'm not an English or a literature expert, and certainly if you've listened to the previous four explications, not a poetry expert. But in the immortal words of King Henry of Shakespeare's Henry V, once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. So, as we've done before, we'll use the same framework from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Writing Center, which is not a sponsor, but could be. And the Writing Center encourages us to use six questions when we dissect a poem or conduct what we call an explication. So those six questions are, number one, what is being dramatized? Number two, who is speaking? Number three, what happens in the poem? Number four, when does the action take place? Number five, where is the speaker? And number six, why does the speaker choose now to speak? So given that framework, we'll take a closer look at the poem. And again, the questions we're looking at are what is being dramatized, who is speaking, what happens in the poem, when does the action take place, where is the speaker, and why does the speaker choose now to speak? So with that, I'll read the poem one more time and think about those six questions. Perhaps just think about one of them and try to focus on that as we go through this. The poem is a little bit challenging, and that's okay. But try to think about at least one of those questions as I read through this. Quote, the past and the present wilt, I have filled them, emptied them, 
and proceed to fill my next fold of the future. Listener up there, what have you to confide to me? Look in my face while I snuff the sidle of evening. Talk honestly, no one else hears you, and I stay only a minute longer. Do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. I concentrate towards them that are nigh. I wait on the door slab. Who has done his day's work? Who will soonest be through his supper? Who wishes to walk with me? Will you speak before I am gone? Will you prove already too late? End quote. And as I mentioned before, this is the 51st of 52 sections or parts of this poem. And we're obviously near the end of the poem here. And the very first thing that jumped out to me from this section, without going into any of the questions yet, is that there is this impending sense of finality. It's as if the he speaks of the end of the day, and there's just a sense that this is this is the culmination of something. This is the we are nearly the end, not just of the poem, but of something, whether it be the day, whether it be the conversation, whether it be the the life of the speaker. We're near the end of something here. I think that came across pretty clearly, hopefully to you, because it certainly did to me. And admittedly, listener, part of the reason I cautioned you before I read this a second time is that this one was this one was tough for me. As I've said before, I try not to go and look at any of the analyses or explications that are out there. And this is a very famous poem from a very famous poet. There are certainly a number of dissections, probably far, far, far more refined and professional than mine. But I try not to do that because I want to do this live. I want to do this with you. I hope that you're thinking of these things while you're listening to this in the same way that I am. So you're getting a lot of this first pass. Now, of course, I've read the poem a number of times more than than probably you have, but I try to do a lot of the thinking on this live right here while we talk. And I think this was tougher than the first four poems that we've done, which might ultimately be a good thing, I guess. But while there is poignant poignancy here in this poem, obviously. It's it's difficult for me to put into words and feels, I guess, a touch overwhelming. So that being said, I picked it, so we're going to give it a try. So I guess let's start with the first question from the Writing Center. What is being dramatized here? Well, uh, Whitman certainly opens comparing the past and present to leaves or flowers that have wilted. Remember, he says, the past and present wilt I have filled them, emptied them, and proceed to fill my next fold of the future. So they wilt. So it, th- this was interesting to me because the past and the present wilt. It it ta- This is a recognition, I think, by Whitman or the speaker, whoever is, is speaking here. Uh, we, we don't actually know if it's Whitman, but it is called Song of Myself. So I think it's reasonable to assume that it's him. So the speaker here is recognizing that the past and even the present, this very moment, have wilted. They have gone away. The only thing that lies before us is the future. And proceeding to fill the next fold of the future is an interesting analogy. As if the world is unfolding before him and before and unfolding before us. And that's what we ought to be focusing on at this point. And he speaks with an urgency, again, of an impending end, both to the poem and and maybe even life. At the very least, the end of the poem, the end of the day, perhaps life gives it a little more gravitas than it than it rates. But therefore, I think what be, what is being dramatized here, or the story that's being told, is of a brief period of time where the speaker attempts to coax the listener, in this case us, the reader, into participating. 
Well, participating in what, I guess? A, a conversation, he mentions a walk, informing something about the reader to the reader. Does the reader want to know something, a perspective of ours, of the reader, of the speakers? I don't know. Uh, that that's maybe it's all of these things. That's that's the hard part here. So this was the first challenge. I, I struggled with this, and I still don't know if I have a great answer. But at the very least, we're short on time. The speaker wants us to do something. What that something is, I'm not quite sure. That's I think what's being dramatized here. Well, who is speaking? Well, I think it's fair to say again, as I mentioned, that it's Whitman. But it could be any of us, right? It could be me. I think that's the point. The speaker, Whitman or otherwise, is all of us. We all, quote, proceed to fill our next fold of the future and contradict ourselves and concentrate towards them that are nigh. We all do this. So to simplify this some, I'm going to assume that it's Whitman speaking to us from the page, right? This is Song of Myself. This is Whitman manifest in the words and the ink on the page or the screen in front of you. That's who's doing the speaking here. Enough said. Number three, what happens in the poem? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Whitman first, or the speaker, first alludes to the passage of time. And even within this section of the poem, time passes. And there are 12 lines in this poem, in this section of the poem, and by the end of line number 10, it's the end of the day, when the speaker talks about who has done his day's work, who will soonest be done with his supper, who wishes to walk with me. Those, those things indicate that we're, we've reached the end of a day. Knowing that, we know that there is a there is a finite amount of time and that time passes in both this section and in the poem. So when the speaker says, who has done his day's work? Who wishes to walk with me? Both are signal the end of the day for most people. Perhaps the reader or the speaker have finished their day's tasks. They've gone in, they've had a meal, and now it's time for the post-meal walk. Remember, we're talking 19th century here. Whitman lived through the heart of it, saw the best and worst of it, including the American Civil War, which is a whole nother topic. And there was a, a pace to life. There was a, a regularity. There was a, a system to life that was arguably, though debatably, simpler than it is today. And Whitman also seems to acknowledge his need for input or interaction or inspiration here. He says, what have you to confide to me? Talk honestly no one else hears you. As if there's a secret that the speaker believes that the reader or the listener has that the speaker wishes to know, which is why he asks, what have you to confide in me? Now, earlier in the poem, and I know we didn't cover any of this, so it's a little bit unfair, but there are parts where Whitman appears confident and sure-footed. But perhaps not so much here. Right In this section, I wouldn't say that the speaker comes across as particularly confident. I don't know how you interpret it, but I certainly don't interpret it as particularly confident. It's almost as if he's asking, in a certain way, the speaker is asking, who wants to come out and play? Who wants to come out and give me something before I leave? I'm not going to be here much longer. What do you have to confide in me? And he says, talk honestly. No one else hears you. Well, why? Why would we care? Why would we, the reader or the, the listener, care if... Someone else heard us. What is it that we may tell the speaker or speak to the speaker that we wouldn't want others to hear? I don't know. That's that's up for interpretation. So earlier, as I mentioned in the poem, he's much more confident than he appears here. Here he says the famous line, which is what originally brought me to this poem, by the way, where he asks, do I contradict myself? Well, I guess that 
That question alone is not particularly confident. But then he says, very well, then, I contradict myself. I am large, I contain multitudes. And the second and third lines there, very well, then, I contradict myself, and I am large, I contain multitudes, are more confident than the first line of the three. As if the speaker accepts his lack of confidence, recognizes it, and attempts to turn, turn over a new leaf in mid-stride, in mid-conversation. And who doesn't do this? And then decide to lean into that confidence, this newfound confidence. I, 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 sound, I sound a little unconfident here. I sound a little lacking in confidence here. Let me correct that and, and, and grow myself, build myself up, stand a little taller, and lean into that. I don't want people to know that I'm not confident. The next question is, when does the action take place? This is hard to say, but I think chronologically this sounds like a midlife kind of conversation. If I were to guess the age of the speaker at this time, I would say this is midlife. Now, we, uh, we know that this poem was originally published, at least in some form, in 1855. And Whitman, again, as a reminder, was born in 1819. So we are talking about middle-ish age there. I mean, he would go on to live almost 40 additional years beyond the publishing of this poem. And this poem would be revised a couple of times and renamed even. But this is a middle age kind of thing. And I, and I came to that conclusion without considering the years that it was originally published in Whitman's age. But if you think about the speaker as a, a person, if you consider who it is, he's probably not young, right? He speaks longingly of the past. Very few people that are young in age, before the age of about 30, I'd say, maybe, don't really long for the past the way that it sounds like the speaker does here. And the speaker's wise enough to see his own shortcomings and acknowledge them, right, like we just talked about, and also to ask for help. And I would say that is a sign of maturity that you also might not see in somebody that's very young. But there's also nothing that makes me think that the speaker is particularly old here. Um, this, this may not be a very applicable or useful question to this particular poem. Remember, this is a framework for a step or a stepping off point for a poetry explication. It's not necessarily supposed to be the perfect dissection tool for every single one. So this may not be particularly valuable to this, this poem. If you have a different perspective, I'd love to hear it, but that's kind of my take on this particular question. The next question is, where's is the speaker? And that is for me, at least the most interesting question from this framework for this poem. And I always picture these first-person narrative-type poems as some wise person. If you've seen a picture of Whitman, there's one on the on the website of him. He's got this big white beard, you know, the, the classic 19th century hat. He looks part professor, part cowboy, part Aristotelian sage. And I picture that kind of person, and it doesn't, not because this is Whitman, this is every time I hear these first-person narratives. I picture a wise person sitting atop a log stump under a tree in the shade on a hill, speaking to me or perhaps a group, recounting whatever the tale is of themselves. And honestly, listener, this is exactly what I see. This is what I imagine when I hear these first-person narratives. It's somebody sitting on that log, maybe their elbows are on their knees, they're leaned forward, they're telling a story about themselves to a listener or listeners. And here, though, the speaker kind of goes to great lengths to lead us to believe that they're beneath us. The line, listener up there, what do you have to confide to me? As if to place the speaker in the page, in the ink, speaking us up to us from up there, which is an interesting way to go about this. And the final line, will you speak before I am gone, ties to the what will you confide in me 
line well, and it evokes a sense of, like I said, lack of confidence or, or even of desperation for acknowledgement and response from the reader, who again, in this case, is us. And so this brought a new picture to my mind of the speaker as the words on the page of a book that we're holding, asking for us to engage, to be a part of it. And of course, we have a choice. We have a choice to close that book and place those words and that speaker in the dark, or to open that page, let it see the light, and engage with it. And I, that, that may not seem like much, but to me it was particularly neat given this is just a little 12-line section of a massive poem otherwise. But that's what I got from, from this section. So the speaker, to answer the question, I think is in the page. Why does the speaker choose now to speak? This is difficult to say, but it seems like they desire a companion, or a confidant, or even a, a friend. And this section of the poem evokes a kind of swirling, confused, seeking something feel for me. Like those still moments, maybe, you, maybe you've experienced these that I assume, you know, I guess we all have at times, and I know I do, where I wonder if I really have any idea, if I understand anything, and how I'm doing this whole living thing. No, it's, there's, there's those moments of confusion and swirling and it's hard to describe, but if, you, if you've experienced them, I, I suspect you know what I'm getting at here. And that's what the speaker brings up in me, and perhaps that is the point. This is the song of myself. This is Whitman talking to us from the page, and Whitman evokes a lot of thoughts and emotions. He evolves through this whole poem and even through this whole section. He talked about how he flips from lacking confidence to more confident. And he shows himself in Song of Myself, and in doing so, reflects us back to ourselves, which is really neat. And again, this is 12 lines of one section of a 52-section poem. More than, I think, 14,000 words make up this thing. It's long. It, it, it accounts for many pages. It's a book all its own. And it's fantastic. And I encourage you to read the whole thing. I admittedly have not read the entirety of it yet, but it is sitting on my bedside table waiting for me to finish it. But the poem, as much as I have read, is fantastic, and I hope you enjoyed this section as much as I did. So, my question to you today is, what do you take away from this? Do you agree with the assessment that I have here? Do you agree with the kind of analysis that I did? Maybe I oversimplified or overcomplicated it in some way? Do you disagree? Do you see something completely different that I missed? Is there something here? Perhaps you've studied this in a course somewhere and you have notes on it and you're jumping up and down listening to this, or imagining your English literature teacher or whomever you learned this from, jumping up and down, screaming, you missed this part, you big, dumb idiot. Like, perhaps. But let me know. I'd love to hear your feedback and comments on this episode. Again, this is an exploration. This is a learning process. I try not to speak with much definitive authority here because I don't feel like I have any. But I do want to do these again, regularly, so that we can explore poetry and learn a little bit about it. I suspect you may be interested in it the way that I am. And if you are, hopefully this is valuable to you. And if it comes across as bumbling and stumbling, so be it. It is bumbling and stumbling. But I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed this. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. 
Find me on Instagram at QuotationsPod or join the conversation on Facebook at QuotationsPod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.